Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the debrief from the business of fashion, where each week we go deep on our most popular BOF professional stories with the correspondents who created them. I'm Lauren Sherman. Building a designer fashion brand from scratch is next to impossible these days. Not only does running an apparel business cost a ton of money, often with little profits, but it's also harder than ever to break through the noise. And yet, over the past decade, Simon Port Jacobus has managed to do just that. His Paris-based brand, run independently from a big group or backer, is on track to generate more than $200 million in 2022. It's a lot for a brand that's only 10 years old. Recently, Jacquemus, a charismatic, social media-savvy storyteller from the south of France, revealed the financial underpinnings of his burgeoning company and plans for the next phase of growth to BOF. Today, I'm with me luxury editor Robert Williams, who got the scoop. Robert, thanks as always for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. You profiled Jacquemus for one of our BOF 500 cover stories. Can you speak a bit about how the story came together? Yeah, this story came together because we wanted to highlight some of the existing members in the BOF 500 list. And Jacquemus really has stood out in the French fashion landscape recently just because he is one of the only startup luxury brands to have managed to scale in the last decade, maybe the only one to reach the level of the business that he now has. And what's kind of more remarkable is that he's done that outside of the context of a big group. Within French fashion, we have seen a few startup brands that have been very buzzy in the past few years, but almost all of them have quickly gotten the support of either a private equity investor or a big conglomerate like LVMH to keep their operations going. And to build something from scratch, even the big groups have trouble with that. It's just hard generally to build something with relevance and interest from consumers. And he's managed to become a global brand that is really relevant on platforms like Instagram and places where usually you think of brands cutting through that have a lot of money to spend on ads, but he hasn't done it that way. It's pretty organic. I think he was just one of the first designers to realize how powerful of a tool Instagram was going to be and to really have something so compelling to say on that platform, to have a universe that was really just organically compelling so that he didn't really get to that point where it became pay for play. And that he's kind of sustained that interest over so many years is really quite impressive. 
I think you see a lot of young designers, smaller brands now who will kind of integrate their life and their social media presence and create a universe where themselves, selfies of them, their boyfriend, their vacation, their dog, that all of that's a part of the brand story. You see that a little bit more today. But when Jacquemus was building his company, it was quite new. And now he's expecting to close this year with 200 million euros in turnover. And you know he still shares his Instagram account with the brand. So, I mean, the storytelling there and the traction it's gotten has just been so organic and has remained so. Yeah, it's fascinating. We'll get more into that later. But to start, I wanted to talk a bit about the pop-up shop that he's doing or the temporary store experiment that he's doing in Paris. And it was that Instagram, it was his website. It's all of the world of Jacquemus coming to life. And what's it like? It opened during Fashion Week, correct? I was talking to a French fashion executive yesterday who said there was a line out the door when she walked by the other day. Every time I've walked by there since they opened about three weeks ago, almost now, I've seen a huge line and it's been young customers, customers from around the world. And you really start to feel that he is not just a French sensation anymore. That shop is really interesting because Jacquemus, by nature of having this really global vision that he's been promoting with, you know, this South of France lifestyle and, you know, these different motifs he likes that aren't really limited to fashion. I think people have wondered for a long time why he didn't open a store, because it was someone where visiting the store was a really compelling idea and you could feel that demand. But he has really preferred to do these like short retail activations. You know, he did like a 24-hour handbag vending machine where everything was hot pink. He did this pop-up in Selfridges where like everything was in this blue swimming pool tile. And it was like going inside a swimming pool and there were lockers and everything. He likes doing these small targeted retail activations where I think he could maintain kind of complete control and make sure that it was perfect from the beginning to the end. This time now, he's gone to Avenue Montaigne, which is traditionally for like the biggest, most established and very, very high-end brands. And he's kind of thought that it would be fun to bring something that's mixing in elements of luxury with something that's a bit more democratic. His brand, you know, does reach up into luxury price points occasionally with some of the gowns, some of the ready-to-wear. And also in like the selling ceremony and the way they approach those bags, they kind of sell them like they're a luxury object, even though they're a bit more accessible than a lot of propositions. And he likes to mix that with things that are really pop and young. There's like this claw machine to get popcorn in the store. And what's funny about it is like, it's really maddeningly hard. So like, if you want some popcorn, you have to really play this claw machine just to get like a handful. It's really quite cute. That's super fun. And what's remarkable about him is the fact that the clothes have a point of view. They're recognizable. The bags are definitely recognizable. He has this online presence that feels very modern. Like you said, he shares his personal life. He creates buzz and excitement. Do you remember when he did the post? He was like, I have a new job, quote unquote. I think it was for launching men's. But at the time, there was all this speculation that he might be going to one of the big houses, et cetera, et cetera. He like used that to his advantage. And then in real life, he is being really creative in the way he's presenting this stuff in person. Do you think it's the alchemy of all three of those 
different skills that has made him successful. It just seems so rare to have someone who is creative, not only on the fashion side, but on the marketing side and the communication side. He is a born storyteller, a born spokesperson for what he does, and he really does have a fashion point of view. But I think where people don't notice the third thing he really brings to the puzzle is that he's really grown a lot as a merchant. And from day one, he's been a very self-taught person, quite scrappy in their approach to building a business. And so I think that all of the elements of what the company is is doing are, are quite integrated because he kind of has an authentic idea for how to make money along with this story that he wants to tell. So let's talk about how he's actually making money. Can you break down what his business looks like? Because 200 million euros, that's a lot of money for a brand that's only been around for 10 years. And that's independent in particular. There's not a ton of customer acquisition dollars going into that business. So how have they scaled up so quickly? You would see other businesses in that 100 million to 200 million range that have like maybe some big private equity backers in like the contemporary space and who have opened stores all over the world to support that. And in his case, you really have a digital first company that has built that in a much more organic way. I think you have to remember that it is a slightly older company than we realize. And when it started, he managed to build so much buzz with something that was really quite aggressively strange and eye-catching and emotional, but not really very easy to wear. What he's done that was very smart was very slowly transition to a more commercial vision so that at each stage, it still felt quite authentic to who he was. So, I mean, a huge part of that business, more than 50% is the handbags that he introduced back in 2018, these small handbags. The most iconic version is the Chiquito shape, He only put it on a couple of the girls in the runway show where he showed it. There were also these really big bags. There were all kinds of shapes. It was not like the main theme of the collection. But then some buyers and stylists that caught their eye and they said, that's so funny, this tiny bag. You know, you can't even fit a phone in it. And so Rihanna wore it. Tons of stars ended up wearing it. He then kind of had this category that he was able to dominate about tiny bags. And so... He's introduced some other shapes. Some of them are a little bit bigger, a little bit more practical while still being very tiny. Some are even tinier. You know, there was that like micro bag that he did that uh, I don't remember if you guys saw that video where it was Lizzo who's like pretending to pull all these big things out of her like thimble size handbag. It's quite cute. I don't know if he was the first to do the micro bag, but it feels like he might have been. Even if he wasn't, he was the first to sort of make it a thing. And now even I I saw them on the runway at Chanel. They're just everywhere now. At that Fendi show in New York, it was like there were tiny, tiny little bags sewn onto the socks and things. It's a part of the repertoire of all these brands right now. It's very funny. Yeah, micro bags you wear around your neck have been really big for Chanel the past couple of seasons. He talks about how actually he thinks that kind of the fact that he didn't have that support and that investment that a lot of other people went out seeking so early in their process, he thinks that that kind of is what made him be able to build this company. He says, I had nothing. And so every season I had to sell the clothes. 
And if I didn't get twice as many orders every season, I wasn't going to be able to stage the next show. I wasn't going to be able to produce the next collection. So he just always had his finger very much on the pulse of what could he ship out to his wholesale partners that would sell while still really, you know, animating his community and and coming up with novelties. That makes sense. But at the same time, there's so many designers who do not have that intuition or that drive to do all those things. And one thing that I thought was interesting in the piece was that he certainly has been up for jobs. And it sounds like from what he told you, he has specifically decided not to go and work at a big house or because I'm trying to think of an example of when a designer has gone to work at one of those big houses and their own brand has really blossomed at the same time. I mean, it's quite rare, even going back all the way to Michael Kors at Celine. It wasn't until LVMH divested from Michael Kors and Silas Chow invested that Michael Kors took off. It was long after he was working at Celine. So I can't think of one where they've sort of come up together. Why do you think he's so motivated to build his own brand and not take the I don't want to say easy because those jobs are not easy, but they're lucrative job at a house where he would clearly be very, very in demand. I think it's about the fact that he has that clarity of vision that I think is really worth pursuing under his own name. I mean, a lot of people, designers who have taken other jobs at the same time as they were doing theirs. Now he's become such a savvy operator that I think he would really have an eye that could contribute to lots of different kinds of luxury houses. But I think earlier in his career, there was just so much earnestness and a very, very young and spontaneous energy that I don't think he would have been very interested to channel that through the codes of another brand. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So he's been doing this for 10 years and he clearly has one of those creative brains that is able to do creative business marketing alongside pure creative design. He's also seems to be a great merchandiser. He's, he's all around, not only a creative, but an executive. But recently he hired an up and coming executive to be his CEO. It feels like this person is the right person to take 
this brand to the next level. Can you talk a little bit about him, his background, and why he's a good fit for Jack Moose? Yeah. So Simon hired Bastien Daguzan, who had worked for a long time with Christophe Lemaire and really helped to get that business on a solid footing in the days when it was based in London and then it was partnering with Uniqlo. There were some steps he managed to take to really help to solidify that business. Then he worked for a few years with Push, the Spanish perfume group, helping to support them with the Paco Rabanne Fashion House, which they had been wanting to kind of capitalize on this momentum that there was around Paco Rabanne under Julian Dosina, the designer, and wanted that brand to be able to, you know, kind of be present in some more department stores, have some more retail locations, and really be a business that wasn't just there to drive the image for the perfume. I think his awareness about the different challenges that a designer brand could face and that the different ways that different partners could support or not support it, I think is very interesting. And Jacques Mousse has explored branching out into perfume and into beauty. And I think that's a category where they know doing it themselves at the scale they would be able to do it and the quality they would be able to do it doesn't necessarily make sense. But I do think that there could be a lot of risks involved with doing a big licensing deal. And Bastien kind of has a very good awareness and visibility about how that articulation between a fashion house and then different brand extensions works. And it helps that they are doing their beauty stuff with Pouge where Bastien just worked, correct? It would help if that did come together, but that deal has not been confirmed. Uh, there's been reports of their talks, and I think they've discussed, but that's been among the partners they've discussed with. Okay, interesting. I don't know why I thought that that was... There's been a lot of speculation that he'll take that route, but, uh, there, you know, he actually... And I think at certain points, they've been very close to partnering. But as Jacquemus started to have a bit more support coming in from a new CEO, I think he started to realize that there was a lot more he could do to solidify the categories that they're already in, trying to have a more solid footwear business, trying to have a more diversified and kind of higher quality menswear business, that those sort of projects might actually be a bit more of a priority than delving into beauty. And it seems like the collaborations he is doing are with brands like Nike that are really established and can manage all the production and all of that stuff. I think he had discussed with Nike for a while and doing just like a one-off collab didn't make much sense to him. But with the French Olympics coming, they kind of came and they said, we're looking for like a kind of longer term partnership where we could do a couple different capsule collabs and do some different drops building up to the Olympics. I think that such a French brand, such a young French brand and such a big global brand to kind of join forces around the Olympics. I think that's just a really, really exciting opportunity for them both. Zooming out and looking at this brand, it's been around for 10 years, but it's really the last, I'd say, two to three on a roll. The fashion shows we didn't even go into, these location-based fashion shows that he's done in Provence and Hawaii that are super Instagram-friendly and just get a lot of attention. He just feels like he's at the height of the intersection of pop culture and fashion right now. But where do you see it going? He seems to have quite big ambitions. Do you think that he wants this to be, you know, a 500 million billion dollar a year in sales brand? And if so, do you see him taking outside investment? And from what kind of business 
would make sense just examining the overall market and knowing how these things work? Currently, his plan is to not take outside investment. He says they have a roadmap to growing sales. They're targeting 500 million by 2025. And they believe that they can do that without investment. They have such a strong momentum right now with their wholesale partners and with their online. Wholesale is seen as a much more troubled segment because of the discounting and inventory challenges. Wholesale-driven businesses are seen as kind of less desirable for investors. But I think he has a very pragmatic approach, and they've seen just how much success they've managed to have through wholesale. So they're starting to kind of gradually rebalance. And I think they're going to try to bring that wholesale component down to like 50% by really boosting the online and starting to bring some of their like department store corners as a shop and shop. Also, the shop on Avenue Montaigne, currently it's there for as like a six month residency, but they have said that they're open to, you know, extending it depending how it goes. They're kind of doing a test and learn when it comes to, you know, actually having a retail presence. Is his presence there an indication that that area of the city and that block in particular is changing in terms of the makeup and the kinds of stores that are there? I think a lot of people who have a stake in Avenue Montaigne hope so. It has been really quiet since the pandemic. And before the pandemic, there were the yellow vest protests in Paris that were really kind of dampening the desire to go spend time in that neighborhood, which had historically attracted just very top spending international travelers who were staying in these five-star hotels that are around there. Actually, they're a great above five-star that you only have uh, in certain cities called a palace. And now Jacquemus has created his store and it, it's at the beginning of the street at the intersection with the Champs-Élysées where it is a bit busier. But then if you go a bit further, Dior has opened their fashion museum and inside their flagship store, there's now like a pastry shop and some other things to try to bring a young energy down there. So that is absolutely a trend that they're trying to kind of encourage Robert, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything else about Jacquemus that you learned from spending so much time with him that you think makes him really unique in this market? I think I had never noticed how much the proposition had changed as the company became more commercial. I hadn't looked back in a while at his early collections and what they were like. And I just thought that you really have a model here for kind of seasonless fashion and how it can evolve. When he was a super young designer with a really emotional story about things that happened to him when he was younger, he was bringing something to the table that was very aligned with that and the kind of audience you had for it, like buyers for Dover Street Market or opening ceremony. And then as he started to have a broader audience, he just transitioned and has managed to keep kind of twisting things forward a little bit at a time. It's a very seasonless brand, but it's one that's changed. I think that's exciting to see because you feel this risk out there with a lot of brands now that either they're very seasonal still or they're quite stuck. It's very true. Robert, thanks again. This was super fun. Well, thank you so much, Lauren. You can find Robert's story and many others at businessoffashion.com and also a link in our show notes. You have been listening to The Debrief, produced and edited by Emma Clark, Kate Barton, Eric Bria, and Georgie Rutherford in the BOF studio. I'm Lauren Sherman, and I'll be back next Wednesday with a new episode. Thanks so much for joining us, and be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can join BOF Professional today with an exclusive 25% discount on an annual membership covering key industry topics from sustainability to technology to marketing with access to our case studies, live events, and iOS app. To get this special offer and benefit from 25% off of a membership, head to the link in the episode show notes or enter the coupon code DEBRIEF at checkout. Visit businessoffashion.com slash memberships. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 